Okay, here we are on October 13th, 2016, and we're talking about Gem by Frederick Pohl, and we will go around and talk about what all of us thought of the book. Here we go. Well, I suppose I was the one who suggested it, so I think I'll chime in first. I enjoyed it, although there were a couple of rather controversial issues. One was the environmental issue, how um, humans came to the planet and and started to destroy not only the lives of the natives, uh, but the environment also. So that was a concern. Also, the type of government that they ended up with at the end was definitely not what you would call a democracy. Um, I found that there was a bit of, of oppression in that, just like there was in the rest of the book. And basically, I guess you could call it a bit pessimistic, but the, uh, the characters were funny. Some of them were just so funny, and some of them weren't. But um, the different points of view in there were quite interesting and fascinating, so it wasn't all pessimism. There were things about the book that I definitely enjoyed. Well, I, I generally liked it, too. I, I found it very interesting in the political divisions of the world. I couldn't really keep track of them. I wonder why they gave such names to the different groups. It's to try to remember which group corresponded to which group of countries. But certainly the political elements I found to be very interesting. And the, you know, the divisions and, and, of course, towards the end, when they ended up destroying the Earth completely, and they transferred their conflicts to, uh, to Jim. I also liked the aliens, uh, especially the the, the 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 ballooners. It was very interesting how they used how the the people became aware of their their sperm as a as an aphrodisiac to, to to you know cause them to really enjoy themselves. That was an interesting thing. But it was sort of I I also felt that the author was sort of pessimistic in the wrong end. Even at the end when he says that everyone ends up dying anyway, it was sort of sort of pessimistic view of life. I I, I thought. Um, especially, as I said, when, when the Earth was pretty much destroyed with the nuclear war. But, it, it was, it, I, you know, it, it was a pretty enjoyable book for me. We didn't enjoy it. Um, yeah, I thought it was terrible, um, to be honest with you. I didn't like most of the characters. There are exceptions. Uh, Captain Yostigov, or whatever the heck his name was, uh, the Russian pilot was kind of funny. And, and uh, some of them, like Danny and... The translator, Anna, were reasonably civilized, but most of these people were just total barbarians. I mean, they abused the aliens totally. They, you know, that Marge was just a, oh man. I, I had no sympathy for, I thought she was dead when when Sharn Igon fell on her, and, he, and she should have been. I could have sworn, Paul said he was like 200 kilograms or something, and I forgot to look it up, and, uh, but it, she should have she should have died, and she didn't. But she kind of turned around, and then she turned around again. Uh, and you know her father was no better, and the whole oh man, I just uh, the cynicism and the oh man, sweetie. Um, I have a hard time reading any books where animals are hurt. Um. That's how I felt when I read this, because they literally tortured the aliens for their own pleasure. And they also enslaved them and um, 
they devastated their culture. And then in the end, we find that Marjorie and several of them actually had had progeny. And several generations later, when they, he first leads us to believe things are improved, but they're not improved at all. The aliens are still enslaved. Yeah, they're perfectly free to give their voluntary gifts, but if they don't give their voluntary gifts, they don't get their allergy shots. And or if they don't get their allergy shots, they die. And if they, So or, it's all perfectly voluntary, but it's not. Or if they don't um, give their voluntary gifts, which is slave labor and gifts, oh. then, then they are free to starve. That, yeah. So depending on which, which aliens we're talking about, and they still use the balloon creatures to give their um, their hormones or I their juices at Christmas. Well, I, I didn't buy that anyway. I mean, that kind of sounds like one of those male wish fulfillment type things. It I was. mean, what are the chances of an alien chemical that does the same thing for the aliens that it does for human beings? I mean, that's kind of like what Asimov was talking about, alien humans getting alien diseases and stuff. I mean, it was he, he, he likened it to kind of like humans getting Dutch elm disease or something like that. It's but, not plausible. Well, but not only that, but they they said that the aliens, the balloon aliens did not derive pleasure. Oh, it was painful from, for them. Yeah, so so it was an aphrodisiac for the humans, but they they demeaned them and um this book was very retro in in the bigotry because they had nasty names for on earth for all the different um Political groups, the you know the greasies and the and the foodie people and the people that had nothing, which were called peeps. But the their various nationalities had you know brunt and different different. Yeah, Mar that was Marge. A lot of that was Marge. She was so prejudiced against anybody that wasn't American, and even she said ninety percent of them weren't any good. We should let somebody else get in. Well, and she she was a dictator, and then she said she reformed, but she actually fooled the people into following her to set off the nuclear explosion. Well, that was after they attacked, though. I think she might have actually meant it no, at first. No, she didn't. No, she didn't. She tricked them. She, she made them think that, and then they followed her, and she... Okay. Well, I like the three different brands of aliens, and that's about the only thing I liked. I couldn't connect with any of the people in it, um, I I couldn't quite tell whether he was trying to be funny or serious. So I would not, you know, I'd hate to give it a, a minus rating, but I really can't give it a positive one either. Well, I'm going to have to join the negative side. I, I didn't even finish it. I got about a couple hours in and to me, it seemed really dated, like Lissy said. I, I went back to check the copyright on Barnes in the 1950s. I'm not sure. I mean, he did throw in some strong woman characters, not always likable ones, but the spinster and the rampant sexual harassment that was in the book seemed really dated. Um, I did think the aliens were interesting. Um, he developed those good. And I must say, from what you guys are saying about how the book turned out, I tend to be pretty cynical, and I wouldn't be surprised if we did find another planet if things turned out exactly like this where we have different countries destroying things. Um, that's kind of my cynical attitude. So maybe I would give the book some points for 
What I, um, I noticed that we have a new person, Misha, here. And Misha, if you have not been in one of these discussions before, the way it works is you can hold down the control key until you hear like a chirp noise, and then that means it's your turn to talk into a microphone. And if you don't have a microphone, if you want to hit F8 and type anything, one of us can try to read your comment. Or you can just listen, whatever your preference. Uh, just for your info, first of all, uh, the copyright date was either eight, 1978 or 79, as I remember reading it in Galaxy around that time. And also, um, 200 grams, I think it was, or whatever it was, 200, uh, oh, I forgot now, is 400 pounds in American measurements. So, Sharnagon weighed about 400 pounds, kilograms, that's what I was thinking. I agree, unfortunately, with the majority of the views expressed tonight, particularly Sherry. I, too, was unable to finish this book. Um, <clears throat> I have read later, I enjoyed his and C.M. Kornbluth's uh, joint project called the, the Merchant's War, if I'm not mistaken, and I think that was the Space War was a sequel. As far as the narrator, he's a good narrator, but I don't think he was well cast to read this book. He's probably no longer with us. He brings back memories of when I was a very young child, and he was reading a lot in the, at that time. I believe he read some uh, parts of some of the Jack and Joe magazines. He's a blast from the past. It was sort of good to hear him. I think he was reaching the end of his career. I will say, as one of you did, that the sexual harassment in this book was irksome. I also found disjuncts in the technology. I remember in the book 2312, we thought there was nowhere near enough use of nanotech for a book set in the 24th century. I'm not sure when this book was set, possibly the 21st century, but for a, a tech, a people who could shoot things across the galaxy in a week, um, who used holographic images? They, they mentioned they mentioned cassettes or something to to do something with the languages or to study something, and this thing about splitting your brain to become an interpreter was gruesome. Could they not have thought of a better way than that? And this uh, tripartite division of the world smacked me just a bit of H.G. I'm sorry of George Orwell. Um, I'm not sure Orwell did his divisions quite along these food fuel and people power lines, but he had a tripartite or trifurcated world um, political order. It was interesting to see which countries went where. The United States was a food producer. We're an energy producer now, but it was that was kind of trippy, and Bulgaria was in the food producers. It didn't matter if they were socialist. China, communist, was a people country. It was That was kind of strange. Oh, yes, the... Uh... The sexual harassment, it was everybody, I mean, every guy was after these, was after this woman. They broke uh, I know, it was kind of tough. Oh, yeah, and there was another technological disjunct that I pointed out to Lissy. At the beginning of the book, we see Danny Dalehouse using a pencil and paper. Then Frederick, then Paul mentions pocket computers later on. Then he seems to have forgotten about the pocket computers shortly after that. He gives it one reference, so... There was some sloppiness there, I think. Maybe he was just getting tired, I don't know. But it, there was some definitely some technological incongruities in there. The sad thing to me was that never did the three powers consider helping each other. I can understand on, the, on Earth how they were entrenched, but they were puppets 
to their earthly origins and on the planet even they would rather become extinct as the um, peop people settlement did than ask for help or try to cooperate and at the end too they were at cross purposes I, it was just so it now, was such a waste I'm not going to be totally universally negative there was a moment there, there were a moment here and there the one moment that was perhaps the best moment was when Danny refused to go on into the camp the greasy camp and then uh, you know and he's standing there with his gun and she's pointing what her name it was pointing the gun at him and telling him he has to go and attack the greasies after the nuclear that, that fission bomb went off and he says he's not going to do it and Anna comes up behind her with another gun and says we're not going to do it and then she throws her gun away and he throws it that was a good moment, but, it was but there little, were not very many of those. It wasn't enough, and it came too late. And all of the colonists were such sheep. I mean, were Annie, Anna and Danny the only ones with minds of their own and the possibly the, the Russian pilot, because he was the, kind of the comic He relief. was a god, yeah. He was, I liked him. He had a lot of good lines. Yeah, I like the Russian too, and I, I mentioned that but at the time this came out in the late 1970s, the PC was not even out on the streets yet. That didn't happen until 1981, so I, I, I can understand and give him a little bit of credit for at least being inconsistent about what exactly a pocket computer was capable of. Because once you get into a cultural mode... Um, it's really hard to get out of it, even if you know it's better. Um, I don't know how else how else to describe it, but I think it would be very hard to change. And um, one would hope that if we were on another planet and there were divisions, very optimistic about the human race anymore. Um, I wish we could go back to the days of Star Trek and Star Trek The Next Generation where... I think also that um, I'm doing what, what, what uh, happens on here sometimes and you have this idea that you hold on to and then you press the button and you go, what was I going to say? Yes, this is Misha. Um... I actually read the book when it was written. I think it was written toward, when we were kind of leaning toward the breakup between the Soviet Union and the United States being the major powers, and he was trying to imagine what the next sort of combinations would be. And, of course, as other people have pointed out, it uh, wasn't imaginative enough or something to come up with. I know what I was going to say. Um, parts of this book remind me of what it actually, one of the messages that it has is it tells what happens when societies are conquered. And I actually was seeing things a lot of times from the alien's point of view, like Sharnagon when he went back to his town and everything was dead. Can you blame him for being angry at humans for that? Because things were going more or less as they usually did until the humans showed up. And 
the balloons, they obviously were suffering horribly, and the, the um, rodents who would go along and do the things that the humans were teaching them to do, but obviously they're... So it, it's a story of conquest. Is is one of the many facets of this book. Another thing that just occurred to me about conquests, if you look at the well, the examples of the rabbits into Australia or the snakeheads into the Mississippi River Valley or other invasive species, you know, we can't even keep ourselves from down ecologies, so why would anybody think that we'd um, from destroying a totally alien one? Well, I just want to add that, you know, I, I liked some of the characters, especially Danny. I thought Danny was, a, you know, an interesting person. In fact, he tried to be human and, and sharing. I liked what he called the, 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 uh, the, me, uh, the Tasha, I think they, he gave the name to the Colonel, uh, I forget her name. <laughs> uh, so I, I think some of that was, was pretty good. Um, Anna was an interesting person also, with her crush on that Pakistani guy. She would say how to try to you know control the world and everything, working for the Chinese, and he ended up being killed. So it, it had it had interesting aspects to it. I thought Anna had a lot of heart. I really admired her trying to stand up for at least some kind of moral um, views and I, I admired her for that and you know nobody's perfect and she, she really had guts I mean she really tried to to show that there was a better way to try to live at least do the best you could and I admit that when Sharnagon discovered that his his village was totally destroyed and all of that and he was mad I could see why he was mad it reminds me of what happened a lot with the Native Americans when the white and uh, they didn't have any land left so how could they live um, so there's a lot of stuff like that in this book so it just it really gets you once you start thinking about it you just keep going with it and there's there's all this stuff that that I have to give the author credit for putting all this stuff in such a a short book, because these days wrote a book like that, it would have to be about three times as long, I guess. Um, I was really sad at the end when they showed there were survivors. Normally, you would be happy, like oh, you know, through all the through all the solar flares and all the um, the planets ups and downs, they're still surviving and thriving, etc. But I was really sad, and it's kind of I'm kind of being a touch philosophical but not deeply so in saying that you know I personally like to think that my life is going to be somewhat a force for good or that that's what that's what I'm working toward and I like to think there's enough of me around that that we bring some kind of goodness or comfort or or positive force or something to to life and um, in this book at the end no one was being nice to anybody. I mean, they survived, but for what? You know, to continue the enslavement and the um, their dominance. And they talked about that the, that Earth. There were survivors on Earth, and they were begging for help. And everyone is ignoring them because they were they were not thriving. And um, 
I don't know. It was it was well, very and, sad. It bleak. It was well, so bleak. And and the woman her her son wanted to get back, you know, and get more, you know, resources and she said there's still, you know, aliens here who haven't benefited, you know, they're unbenefited yet. I mean, which which was her code word for we haven't we haven't subordinated them yet. We haven't They haven't milked them for all their And there's another point kind of related to what Marshall was saying. Well, that might be true, but it's real easy to to write a book and says, "Well, we're doing this to the earth and we'll just do the same thing to another planet." Maybe maybe try to do something better. You know, maybe see how we could do it better on another planet and you would think that the people who set up these missions might have a second thought about how they might do things a little differently since they obviously weren't working out so well here. I mean, we can see a certain amount of evolution in our own thinking about the environment just in the last 40 to 50 years. I mean, this book was written in 1979. I mean, even then there was a lot of environmental consciousness that wasn't around when Frederick Pohl was born, but he didn't take, he didn't seem to take any of that into consideration. Good points. We're just never going to get it right. That planet didn't sound like a planet I'd want to live on. Red sort of cylinder or something. Well, to me, again, the idea that they would go up there and not be environmentally conscious. You're right, we've been talking about the environment since the 70s, and we've still got, there's too many regulations against pollution, and there's no climate change, and of course that hasn't been since the that frequently get to be in charge of stuff, and they go to another planet, and rather than uh, social consciousness. I think the planet, the views of the book, there was a smoldering kind of desperate kind of Anglomistic sort of stuff, and yet you're you're reminded throughout the book about the sun that was just sort of on the infrared, and and yeah, there was a lot of heat coming out of it, but not much light coming from it. It was just I thought it it fit in a red a red dwarf, which I think is the kind class of star they're talking about, would not be a good place to live because they they are able they do tend to put out a lot of solar flares. Um, you know, as dim as it was, I would have thought it would have had horatious effects on... Uh, uh, it reminded me of something, though. You know, the, the planet we just found, the first planet, the closest planet to us, which might be similar to Earth, is around a dwarf star. It orbits 11 days in 11 days. It might be habitable. But it kind of reminded me of this book in a way because it was a similar kind of setup, only it doesn't, I don't recall whether it has one side facing the sun as Jem does or not, but uh, it certainly has some similarities. But the other thing I want to point out is that this is going to be a terrible recording for whatever reason. Uh, I don't know, I, our internet connection might be for some reason slow tonight, but we're getting these long pauses and then people's words are getting chopped out because, you know, they're, they're the long pause and then when they come back, they talk for a second or two and then then they get edited, like, because uh, we lose some of the... So this is going to be a really bad recording for people to listen to, I'm sorry to say. I don't know the cause of it. Uh, it doesn't usually happen, but it's happening tonight. Go ahead, Tweety. Um, it's not my intention to... to um to dis start a political discussion, but it's just a coincidence that at the time when we're hearing 
all these sleazy things that are being, you know, um, discussed in the media about Donald Trump. No. The characters, the the men in the book were treating women exactly that way. And, and in this book, it, it's not only that they did that, but it's that the women had, they didn't even, it was ex kind of allowed. But the book, I sort of feel sleazy when I hear the news, uh, the real news, and I felt kind of sleazy when we were proofreading this book because I just, you know, when the men were acting that way, that's not the way I perceive men as a whole, and I just kept thinking, ew. But that, what's her name, Margie, or what was her name? She was a pretty dominant female there. I think she she used the men for, you know, pretty handled them pretty, you know, pretty well, I would say. Well, yeah, look how she used her father and used her mother. I mean, that that was a bad, that was just bad all around. But I want to comment one thing. At the very end, what were the very last words he said when the book ended? It's sort of, you know, like, very negative. He carried a negativity to the very end where, you know, you just live and die, and that's, that's all there is to life, basically. What he said was that uh, that character at the end, he was joining in the Christmas party, and, and he said... Almost exactly. He began the process of growing up, which was the same, which was... Uh, Say he abandoned his he, ideals. He began the process of growing up uh, and dying, which is the same thing. Something like that. Exactly. That, to me, seemed pretty Yeah, Dave, Dave, you were thinking of the space merchants. Um, that was a, a, a kind of a satirical look at uh, advertising and commercials. Um uh, took place on Venus, I think. It was a classic from the early 50s, but I didn't know there was a sequel, or I'd forgotten about it. Uh, that was a, one of the classics uh, from him and C.L. Kornbluth uh, they did together, but that was a satirical kind of humorous thing. I don't really think this had any humor in it at all. I think he was serious. No, I don't think this one did either. I think there was... You said the space merchants, and I think the space war was the second. There was a sequel. I know I remember it. I don't remember. Even Narabedla Limited had a bit of a lighter side in its way. That whole series on, what were they called, the Hichi? I don't think I ever read anything except one short story once, but I think he's having created the Hichi. Yeah, that was the Gateway series, or at least it started out with Gateway. And that first book was in Galaxy 2. Um came out around the same time, I think. It was a year before, I think, in 78. Um, yeah, Narabedla Limited, uh, you know that's Aldebaran spelled backwards, by the way. Um, I think they, I think he says that somewhere in the book. That was kind of funny. I don't remember the plot now, but it but it was funny, and Roy Avers was, was a good uh, narrator of that. But um, we should probably uh, talk about our next book while Mary's still with us. Well, the only thing I've read this month is... Um... Master different from pretty or your house or your yard or whatever, and you would end up being taken through a gateway into the Pliocene area. I think it was, yeah, it was the Pliocene. And, uh, I don't know, it was interesting. The only thing I can say is if you wanted the, the ending to be optimistic, you had to read everything right down to the very last sentence to find out, because he has a twist at the end. And now I can't even think what it was about. I read it about three weeks ago. Well, everybody knows what I want to read, so I don't need to mention it, probably. Um, I wanted to read something that was more uplifting and, 
it's kind of sad it seems hard to find in science fiction um, one of the things I did when I was searching um, I don't know if the Misha who is here is the same person that I'm thinking about but I went to um, I clicked on his name and found over 200 almost 200 science fiction books mostly anyway and I searched and found an author who I'm not I, who's new to me and Evan can he can follow up and tell you about the book that I found that might be fun. Okay, it's called Red Shirts by John Scalzi, and it's a Star Trek parody, I th it sounds like. And it's on uh, Bookshare? It's on Bard and Bookshare. And isn't it in Braille? Oh, yeah, it's also in Braille. You can get a downloadable Braille version from NLS, too. That one was interesting, but it kept his other one about those little fuzzy animals on this planet that ended up being intelligent. It was cute. The red, excuse me, because it's like the, the script kept changing the people. Uh, I did not, uh, that one I felt so tangled inside out and upside down. But if you want to read it, we can. I mean, I have no problem with it. I wouldn't tell anybody what to read. I just thought his other one about those little furry cat things on that planet. And I wish me, it was... It was upbeat and it had animals in it, and they were they were just delightful. Um, there may have been some stuff in it that was conflictive and and caused you know problems for whoever, whatever. But I think mostly the book was about um, um, these little cats were actually intelligent and deserved to be respected. But yeah, I love that book. I haven't read the other one by Scalzi. Um, yeah, there were several books by Scalzi. Um, some there's the Old Men, Old Man's War, and I think that's a trilogy. Um, but that has to do with men who are old, who you know, when kind of when all your friends have died and your wife has died and you're um, you're feeling, you know, in pain and stuff. This guy's seventy-seven, but if you enlist in the army, they give you a young your your a version of your body only younger and you're in, you've got enhancements but then they go on a lot of battles and they kill a lot of aliens yeah, and then, I don't want to read it. then the man starts having second thoughts about whether he really is it worth it to be a soldier to to earn earn his youth this in this way but the fuzzy book sounds really interesting i think i'd rather read that although if too many of us have read it then Maybe we shouldn't choose it. I don't know just how long it is either. I don't think it was that long, maybe about six or seven hours. I could be wrong about that because I read it a couple of years ago. But it's in my collection on my hard drive, so um, I can at least tell you the book number if you have ever decided. That's about the only thing I could think of other than Mastodonia by Simax, so I'm afraid I'm not too much help this time. <laughs> the book that you... The human raised by aliens on a planet, and then he comes back to Earth or something. But I can't remember offhand what the name is. I could probably to restream it because I think I downloaded it by mistake from my wish list. Uh, it sounded like it might be interesting. Can anyone think of what that might be? Probably Stranger in a Strange Land by Heinlein. The first part of that book is good. The rest of it is like a, a lot of alien I'm not sure. I don't think it's by him, but I, I, I'd have to run up and get my stream and bring it down here uh, to find the name of it exactly. That or go into my wish list or whatever. 
go try to find it. Yeah, the first part of that of, of Stranger was good enough to make it onto the end of my favorites list. Um, the second half was definitely not as good. Heinlein went off into this political, satirical kind of thing, and I don't know what the deal was with that. It was a very, it was a pretty long book, even in its cut form. There's an uncut version now that I couldn't even tell what he cut, to be honest with you, but um, <laughs> but it was a great book uh, for the first half or so, or maybe two-thirds, which might be a stretch, but I want to read A Night Without Stars by Peter F. Hamilton if um, I know it's a sequel and some people don't like him, so that's why we're putting out other ideas, and if anybody wants to hear what Red Shirts is about, I can play that for you. And if anyone has any other ideas, uh, bring them forward. Sherry, you haven't recommended too many books lately. You got any ideas? That's right, Sherry. Come along. Well, um, I'm about, Evan, I'm about London. Um, and the things that we did not like about the first Faller book, i.e. the long revolution storyline, there is a really long storyline in here involving a chase of sorts and Wilson, I forget the first name. And it's about um, some that have a future date. I think the date is 2041, and it's in the early 20th century, or early 2000s or something. And nobody knows where these have come from or why, and they're trying to figure it out. And I, uh, it's just short of 20 on Bookshare. Sherry, um, I lost most of that. Um, what was the book? What was the book? I mean, you were talking about the Hamilton book, and I heard some part of that. I don't know what's going on with this. I don't know if it's the software or if it's the internet connection, but we're getting these long, huge pauses, and then then everything's being chopped out. Uh, what, can you repeat it in a summary form? <laughs> sure, and hopefully you won't get a pause this time. I've had that happen before, and I've just had to get out and back in. Um, it's called The Chronoliths, and it's by Robert Wilson. It's only about 10 hours long. It takes place, I think, in the early 2000s or maybe late 1900s, and it's around them, it sounds like. I have no idea if this is a good book. It's just that the annotation intrigued me enough to download it. Devin, for what it's worth, I'm not hearing anything particularly weird with anybody. Yeah, I wish I'd have known you were having trouble because I have the what you hear function on my sound card, and I could have recorded this meeting if I had known it's a little bit too late to start. Well, I noticed my BARD download earlier seemed to be a slower than usual, and I was having buffering problems when I was listening to internet radio, so I don't know if there's excessive congestion around here, or if there's a line down, or or something around here that's slowing everything down, but that must be what's going on if you guys aren't hearing it. Um, I vote to read Sherry's book, but I'm going to read the Fuzzies book, too, because that sounds like just what I was looking for to refresh my feelings about science fiction. And Sherry, you, so Sherry, you're saying uh, the Hamilton book is uh, not as good as we hoped? Is that what you're saying? Oh no, I, I'm liking it a lot. I'm liking it easily as well as the first Faller book, but not as um, is a long chase type sequence that um, will remind you of what we didn't like about the Revolutionary War sequence back in the first Faller book i.e. it just kind of goes on too long. And I, I wanted to add, if the Red Shirts wasn't very long and the Fuzzy Nation wasn't very long, would we have been able to do them both, or would that be overloading it? Yeah, because one doesn't have anything to do with the other. You know, they, I don't think they'd be related in any way. 
Uh, no, they're both, well, the fuzzies, I have no idea. The red shirts is nine and a half hours. I can, that's all I can tell you. When, when will we have, uh, you know, to read the Hamilton book, uh, when will we, we have five weeks, so we have more time to read it, but it's not long, 20, 27 hours. 20, oh, from Audible? Uh, I'm, I'm, did Cherry say? I, I missed that part. 27 hours from, is that from Audible? No, he, I think, when are we going to have five weeks? And this month is not going to be a five-week break. It's uh, The next meeting is on, I believe, the 10th of November. Um, no, the 27 hours is Bookshare. Oh, okay. Yeah, because uh, Mary's got a 20-hour MP3 version. But I that did sound kind of short. I wonder if uh, that MP3 is on the fast side, because um, it's a megabyte Braille file, and that sounds like a little more than 20 hours Ooh, of reading time. Well, the BRF bookshare file, I'm oh. saying. Is it not on Bard? No, it isn't. No, Bard didn't pick up this series. They didn't do the first one, and they aren't doing this one, apparently. Uh, well, I'm sure they're not going to do this one if they didn't do the first one. Uh, they they did the Void trilogy, and they did the Commonwealth Saga, and they did Fall and Dragon, which was, and the Great North Road. So they've done seven of his books. Uh, but they're not doing the the uh, Faller Chronicle thing. Well, you know, the, I I suspect that Leela and Deb would really appreciate reading um, this book because uh, I know Leela especially was looking forward to it. I mean, I'd show up at next month's meeting, but uh, I want to read the book particularly, but that's okay. Well, I would say let's go with, what's, the, what's that shirt thing you mentioned again? <laughs> it's... Yeah, if it's war, I don't want to read it. I agree. So is it Fuzzy Nation or the Chronoliths or Red Shirts or Night Series. Without Stars? Uh, Lissy's voting for the Chronoliths. Is that Sherry? That's Sherry's book. Yeah. I'm voting for Night Without Stars. Uh, what are you guys voting for? The fuzzy one. I would go for the... The annotation to everybody after the meeting, so at least we get an idea what it is. But at the same time... If people want to read Night Without Stars or whatever the, whatever the title is, then that would be okay because I bet you, as I said, Leela and Deb would love to read that. What was your vote, uh, Martin? We, I, I got, didn't get it. It was Mary's. And what was yours, Mary? Mine? I don't really care. <laughs> I'm so tired I can't think. Mine was for the fuzzies. Oh, we've got two for the fuzzies. we got three for fuzzies. Well, no, we got two for fuzzies, one for chronolists, and one for... Night Without Stars. What was Sherry's? And oh, Sherry yeah, recommended Sherry's. it. So that's two. That's okay, two. I don't know how to count. Um, <laughs> I just can't count. Um, so, um, well, we can wait for Leela and Deb, but I'm going to read it this month no matter what. So, I mean, we can we can do it officially next week. Uh, but um, I don't know. I just can't. Uh, we're not, we're not, we don't have a consensus here. Why don't we just put it out on the list, the answer? And that way, because you don't usually send the note out right away, so this would give people a day or so to think. What I'll do is I'll get the name of that book that I was talking about and put it up on the list, too, just in case we might, you know, you might find it interesting. As I say, I could run up and get it now, but it would take a minute or two, and I don't know if you want to wait. Yeah, why don't you run up and get it? I, um, It's not 10 o'clock yet. All right, I'll be right back. And I haven't read the chronolist, so I'm nervous about 
suggesting it because it could turn out to be a real dog. I don't know. Yeah, I had the same thought. But, well, you know, a lot of the stuff you don't really know because some of it looks good and then it isn't. But that's just part of the life of science fiction readers. (laughs) Some are great. I'm surprised, Cherry, though, that you didn't want to go with The Night Without Stars, though. I thought you were. I thought you would. Yeah, that would be my vote, cause especially since I'm almost done with it. <laughs> yeah, I suspect that Deb and Leela would probably vote for it, too. So that alone makes it like four of us if they chimed in. But then we don't know because they're not here. Uh, sweetie? I just wanted to say I like the idea of reading a book that none of us has read before, Sherry. I like, you know, that, I mean, we're taking a risk, but we all take a risk every time we... Almost every time we open a book that's new to us, so I could be wrong, but I think that's the first in a, at least a duology or a trilogy, isn't it? Did you get, did you hear about that, Sherry? Oh, um, and one more thing about the fuzzies. The only reason I'm not pushing for that is that Mary and Dave have already read it, and so it can't be fun for them, so they wouldn't have anything new to explore this month. I'll look and see if it's a. The question I had with Night Without Stars was like somebody said it would be nice to have a five-week month. I've read it just this week, but I've done some marathon reading this week. The Chronolist, however... I'm not familiar. It's fun to revisit once in a while, and this would be that kind of book that would be fun to revisit. If Fuzzy Nation is the book I'm thinking of, it was originally a two-part, two-book set. Fuzzy Nation, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it was originally by H. Beam Piper. Um, I kind of liked it because they were they were little teddy bear things. If it's the one I'm thinking of, Misha, um, did you have a uh, suggestion? Yeah, Marshall, you're right. That's exactly what it is, and the, the Scalzi, John Scalzi. The Fuzzy Nation. It's a kind of a reconstruction of two books. Turns out it's <laughs> it's by the same author we just read. It's called Home Going. Home Growing? That doesn't sound right. Home Going. G-O-I-N-G. Marge would like the Home Grown title, though. Our character from this month's book. She smoked a lot of pot. You want me to play the introduction? Sure. Sandy Washington was a pretty normal guy. He was a good friend, sensitive, and caring. He respected his elders and obeyed his teachers. He loved basketball, old dead mother. The only real difference between Sandy and any other young man his age was that Sandy had been raised by aliens on their spaceship. The Huntley had done everything they could to give Sandy an Earth-type boyhood. They had even altered some of their own young people to be a bit more humanoid, to make for better playmates for the young man. Now, finally, the Hockley were bringing Sandy home to work. And while they were at it, they intended to give humanity some extraordinary gifts that would improve the quality of life on Earth and perhaps even get human space travel off the ground. The Hockley seemed to have Sandy's and humanity were not so sure. That's Binbova, isn't it? I think I read that. Is that a kid's book? Can you read the annotation? While we're waiting for that, I did check on Bard, and the Chronolist doesn't appear to be the first in a series, at least based on the books that are on Bard, which isn't always a sure sure sign. Okay, I might have just been wrong. He he did some 
Uh, oh, that was Spin. Oh, what the heck was it? I think it was the same author that did Spin and Axis, and that uh, there was a that was a duology or a trilogy. I might be thinking of that. I don't remember. I'll have to go up and refresh my memory on him. I did see Spin out there listed under that author. I don't remember seeing Axis, but I I might have zipped past it. And I did notice too that Chronolist takes place in nineteen in twenty twenty one. So I was a little off on when it takes place. Okay, here it goes. By Frederick Pohl. Copyright 1989 by Frederick Pohl. Narrated by Gary Tipton. This book was originally created for cassette playback. Any announcements concerning cassettes do not apply in this recording. This version contains a marker allowing direct access to the beginning of the book. Annotation. Sandy Washington was rescued from Earth during a major global war and has been raised by the Hockley, who have done everything they can to make his life in their alien land seem somewhat normal. Now the Hockley are headed toward Earth with the idea of taking Sandy home and sharing some extraordinary gifts with Earth in order to help improve life there. But is Earth ready for them? Some strong language and some descriptions of sex. 1989. You know, that sounds very familiar. I think I've read that. I'm pretty sure I read it, because at the end there's a deal where the aliens have a nasty twist in fate in, in mind, and they want to conquer Earth. Is it familiar? I don't want to read the same. I don't want to read another book by that guy. At least not not in the near future. Anyway, I got to get over this one first. I don't want to read another one. I just want to read something good because we did up the walls of the world and. Uh, we knew that the next book couldn't be as good, but the last two books, at least for me and for most of us, haven't been good at all. We've got to read something we think we'll probably like. What least, do you vote I for, hope. Marshall? Yeah, Marshall, what do you vote for? Well, I'm going to vote for the books the same way I'm probably going to vote for the election. None of the above. Because uh, I've read the Fuzzy Nation book and its sequel. Um, and I don't really want to vote on anything. Well, let's try to do the Hamilton book. Uh, you know, I can download it from Bookshare in a regular format and read it, or maybe I'll put it, get MP3. It's, I don't know if I'll be, you know, finish it in time, because I have some other books I want to finish reading first, but I would say let's do that then. All right, Lucy says okay. I say okay. Sherry's almost done, so she must say okay. She has to say it. Mary... She's not going to read it, so she uh, doesn't care. So, all right. Well, we can give Mary the Mary can have the month to find out, figure out next month's book. Yeah, because she did such a great job with the last with <laughs> up the walls of the world, and no, nah, Jem, we'll we'll let her go on that one because we've all done a few bad ones, but uh, that was tremendously. Oh. Uh, uh, but uh, okay, our next meeting is on November tenth. 2016, and we're going to read A Night Without Stars by Peter F. Hamilton, the second book in The Faller, uh, The Chronicle of the Fallers. Uh, it's available from Bookshare and Publisher Quality, and I'll have a newsletter to go out in the next day or so.